Well, good morning to each of you. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior. Earlier this week, I couldn't even talk. And I'm amazed at how God enables our bodies to be sick and to be well. And I want to bless him for that. So what do you preach on the Sunday before Christmas? found it interesting, the, the one, the songs this morning, one phrase stuck out to me especially that I would not have, there's a lot of the Christmas songs we know, parts well and parts we sing, and sometimes they're written to prove a point and maybe they aren't as, as thorough and complete in doctrine and things, but What child is this? Verse 2 says, So why, why lies he in such mean a state where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian, fear. For sinners hear, the silent word is pleading. Good Christian, fear. For sinners hear, the silent word is pleading. Word is capitalized. The word was made flesh. And the call to us as Christians is to fear, to reverence, to bring Him worship. And that last song that we just sang, all these things, these offerings, the devotion, what is dearer to God than any of this is reverence and fear. Fear, not in that trembling of, of angst, but in awe. Title for the message this morning, The Word, the Wisdom, the Way. As I pondered the coming of Christ and, and who He is, why did He come? You know, as we think of the questions, those questions and others, how do we know God and how has He revealed Himself to us? You know, I believe that there's three primary ways that God has revealed himself to us. And these concepts are not new. But hopefully we can be encouraged and challenged this morning as we think about them. I believe that there's three basic areas and ways in which God has revealed himself to us. And those are through creation, through the scriptures, and through the person of Christ. Psalm 19 speaks of the first in verses 1 to 6. I'd like to read those as, a, as an introduction here, thinking of God revealing himself to us through creation. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. 
Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the son, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The power and the glory of God is displayed wherever we turn our eyes. There is nothing hid from the heat of the sun and there is nothing hid from the the witness of God's power, God's wisdom in creation. How were these things made? John 1, verse 1, 2 and 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Greek word for word is logos. And I'd like to reread that, putting that in for the word word and also for the pronouns him. Consider it as follows. In the beginning was the Logos. The Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Logos. And without Logos was not anything made that was made. So what is the word? What is this Logos? In the context of this verse, perhaps a a definition that we could use is the transmission of the holy nature, power, and wisdom of God. Something that went forth, something that goes forth from God and embodies who God is. In this passage, the word is speaking to is Christ. Christ is that that way we can know God. And by him, all things were made. You know, if we would go to Genesis chapter one. And read there, there's a phrase that. That is. Frequently used. In verse three, it says, and God said, let there be light. In verse 6, it says, And God said, Let there be a firmament. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters be gathered together. And so on. So how did God create the world? By His Word. If we go to Psalm 33, verses 6 to 9, says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the seas together in heat. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe before him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The power 
and the imagination of the incomprehensible being that we call God was brought to bear through his word, the word of his mouth. But as it says there in in Genesis 1, later on it says, let us make man in our image. The one God and the different aspects of who he is, the word, his, his breath, the logos. Looking further at, at how God reveals himself and, and who was involved in, in creation, in Colossians 1, very familiar verses, but bring forth this truth. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Speaking of his dear son in the previous verses, it says, For by him were all things created. By his dear son were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So God spoke things into existence, yet we see plainly here that the Son is the co-creator. And I believe it's that element of God that that was sent forth to, to manifest itself. The Word, the Word of God, Christ. My mind also went to the wisdom of God. Wisdom is something we, we, I have a hard time getting my mind around. Proverbs speaks in depth of wisdom and we discuss and we go back and forth. What is wisdom? What does it look like? What is it in our lives? But I would like to consider the, the connection of the wisdom of God to his creative work. Turn to Proverbs chapter 8. Verse 1 is kind of an introduction here. It says, Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? So that's, that's who's speaking here, wisdom and understanding. And jumping down to verse 22, it says, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the cloud above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, Then I was by him, as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Wisdom. I tend to think of it here as as that knowledge of God that, 
that is available for us to, to understand in a measure. It was there before creation. It was with God in creation and perhaps is part of that creation. In Proverbs 3, verses 19 and 20, it says, The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding he hath established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up and clouds drop down the dew. Psalm 104, verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom thou hast made them all. all. The earth is full of thy riches. If you study science, if you use science to study the earth, how is, what is science? It's a whole, nother, a whole nother subject. But when we consider life, we consider the creation, the immensity of space, the the awesomeness of the distance that we can hardly comprehend, the massiveness of the universe. And then we look at each other and we see how we are created, our physical bodies, how animals do the things that they do, the instincts they have, the cycles of nature, And we look at each other and we see people. We have relationships. We interact together. All these things didn't come about by chance. They came about by the wisdom of God. In Jeremiah 10, he is contrasting the idols of the day the idolatry, those gods that are not gods with the living God. And he says in verse 10 of Jeremiah 10, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath the earth shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall ye say to them, the gods that have not made the heaven and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. When he uttered his voice, when he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens and he causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. Here again, the wisdom of God is, we are told, is how he established the world. And I believe that the work of creation and in the sustaining of it is an unsurpassed manifestation manifestation of the wisdom of God. It helps us to see a God that is beyond anything we can comprehend. It is part of the way that we, we know Him as we see the wisdom, the creative ingenious of the world that we live in. Romans 1 verse 20 says this, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse.
I'd like to read a quote from an, an interview that I came across of Jane Goodall. I don't know how, how many of you would recognize that name. Someone that is very much of a, a thinker in scientific circles. She spent most of her life living with chimpanzees and studying them. But here's a quote in an interview with her. It says, quote, And I get kind of peeved when t- scientists will say, but we know how the universe started. It started with the Big Bang. Well, yes, but, sorry, but what led to the Big Bang, please? You know? you know? And you know it's fascinating. More and more highly intellectual people, philosophers of science, physicists, and so on, and Francis Collins, who started off as an agnostic, and then when he began unraveling the human genome, he changed completely and became a believer. And all of these great brains have said there is no way that what's happened is just chance. What that intelligence behind the universe is, what it is, who it is, probably what it is, I haven't the faintest idea. But I'm absolutely sure that there is something. And seeking for that something is part of being human. End quote. Can I read you 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23? But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, Jane is on a search, a spiritual quest, and she's written books about this spiritual journey she's on. But did you gather what she says there? At the end of the day, she knows there's something out there, but she's not sure what it is. But we not only know what it is, we even know who he is. Jehovah, the manifest logos of God. But see, all this intricacies of nature, many scientists believe that there is so much more. I had to think, though, yes, we, we know that there's a lot we don't know. The conspiracies that are out there, whether they're right or not, we look and we believe that God is. But at the same time, we know that Satan is at work to deceive the world. And the whole thing of, of the Big Bang, of evolutionary succession from nothing, that's a conspiracy, not a theory. That's a conspiracy of, the, of the, the prince of this world to delude the hearts and minds of people from seeing the true God, from seeing the wisdom that is there in worshiping God. I'd like to look a little further at, at wisdom There's a chapter in in Job that I read some time ago, and I read it a number of times, and I'd like to 
to re read it here. The, the King James wording is a bit obscure. I appreciate it, but I also appreciate some other versions giving a little different light. And some you could say perhaps as a commentary. But I would like to read it here in a, in a different version. Job 28. It starts out thinking of things that are, that are hidden and valuable. And children, you can listen to this, this word picture because it's basically, it starts out as a picture of someone digging and looking for jewels like gold, sapphire, emerald, these things that are, that are hidden, many beneath the earth's surface, and there's gold mines, there's silver mines, and people are looking for these valuable things that they can sell and they can, can use to make beautiful things. Job 28. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold where they refine it. Iron is taken out of the earth and stone ore is smelted into copper. Men search the limits of dark places, venturing into their remotest bounds to obtain the ore. They drive deep shafts in valleys, in remote places seldom visited by anyone, and descend into them, hanging to ropes that swing back and forth. How many of you think that sounds like fun? How many of you would like to go in a cave with a candle? They didn't have powerful LED flashlights. To dig a hole down in the ground and have ropes and ladders and you're going down there with a little bit of light, but you're looking for some gold. You're looking for something valuable. It says, from the earth, man obtains his daily bread, but underneath its surface, there is blasting as with fire. Maybe they knew something about dynamite to extract these things. Sapphires are discovered among its stones, and there is gold dust. The way to such treasures no bird of prey detects, no eagle's eye observes it, no beast of prey treads on it, and no lion has set foot there. But man puts forth his hands on flinty rocks and overturns mountains by the roots. Now it's saying here that no animal is able to go where, no animal that we know above lives on the earth's surface, is able to go where these men are going and looking for these things. And he even overturns mountains by the roots. You know, I've seen pictures of these mining operations and some strip mines and surface mines and they'll, they'll take away huge sections of the earth and dig down and, and they, they overturn some pretty big mountains and they're looking for something that they want. Continuing here, it says, He drills channels into the rocks and lays bare precious gems. He dams up streams of water and brings hidden things to light. So he's found all these things that no one would have imagined were in the earth. But verse 12 says, But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Mortal man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The abyss says it is not in me, and the sea says it is not with me. Pure gold cannot purchase it, neither can silver be weighed for its price. And it goes on to say that you can have any number of precious things that we as humans call valuable, and nothing can buy wisdom. 
Nothing can buy this, this understanding that God has. In verse 20, whence then is wisdom derived and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living creatures, concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death confess only with our ears we have heard a rumor of it. God knows the way to it. He is aware of its abode. For he beholds to the ends of the earth. He sees everything beneath the whole heavens. When he imparted to the wind its strength, and limited the sea by measure. When he set a law for the rain and a path for the lightning strokes, then he saw it and announced it. He placed it where it belongs and thoroughly observed it. Here again, it's saying that God in his creation, in his creative power, he brought wisdom to bear in all these things. But then in verse 28, it comes to us. How does wisdom apply to us? says, and to man he said, Behold, reverence for the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil, that is understanding. So we may never be able to design intricate things. We may never be able to understand the depths of the intricacies of the workings of our bodies or of exactly how all the planets were created and how they all work. But you know, the amount of things we can know and understand is mind-boggling, and yet all the knowledge in the world will not make one wise. It's really as simple as believing that God is. Believing that He loves me and cares about who I am and what I do. The fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. as I was meditating on this, a poem came to my mind. A poem that I memorized at some point in school by John Greenleaf Whittier. It's entitled, The Book Our Mothers Read. We search the world for truth. We call the good, the pure, the beautiful. From graven stone and written scroll, and all old flower fields of the soul, and weary seekers of the best, we come back laden from, our quest, from the quest to find that all the sages said is in the book our mothers read. And he's basically, you could almost summarize that of a summary of Job 28. We've gone out and, and we've looked at all that's true in the world and we call, we, we cast away what is, what is good even and pure and beautiful, but we're looking for truth. And we come back to the scripture. That's where true wisdom is. God has revealed himself to us through the scriptures. But I'd like to go back and think a little bit more about the Logos, the way, as the way, the Logos as the way. Consider John 1, verses 14 to 18. 
And the word or the logos was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. That's how we can know God. Another aspect in that person of Christ. Christ has declared who God is. A beautiful passage that brings these three aspects of knowing God, the creation, the scripture, and the person of Christ together is in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And I think that could be summed up as the scriptures. The Old Testament is often referred to as the prophets. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Here it is saying that we need to pay attention to Christ. We need to pay attention to what he is saying. He made the worlds. He spoke through the prophets, and now he is here. Christ, the word, the logos made flesh, is the express image of who God is. At one point in my study, I went back and just read a good portion of the book of Luke, looking at Christ, walking among men. What, what was the life of Christ? How did he express the image of God? He taught the people. There's a lot of teaching that happened. And it's amazing how many people he ministered to. He healed. I don't know how many times the, the word healed. Now I know Luke was the physician and he focused maybe a little bit more on the, on the healing ministry of Christ. But, but Christ served people. He took time for people. People came and said, Lord, please come help me. And he said, I'm, I'll come. And then he sacrificed his life. He gave. I like to think of, I'm, I'm thinking of the word, the wisdom, and the way, and in all kind of, it's hard to separate out in my mind, but I, I'd like to look at God's wisdom again yet here, thinking in, I'll just read a, a few verses in Ephesians 3, where it talks about, the mystery of the gospel. 
And it's, it's been hid from the beginning of the world. And it says now in verse 10 of Ephesians 3, it says, To the intent now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I, and I see that, I say that God's wisdom, we looked at it displayed in creation, and I believe that the wisdom was defined or explained in the life of Christ. And here it says that this wisdom is to be demonstrated in the church, in the lives of people. Colossians 1, Paul says that, he, that the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And his desire was to present every man perfect in Christ. As I think of, of this, we as disciples of Christ, I didn't look a lot at Christ's ministry here, but we know a lot of that. But he calls us to be ambassadors, his ambassadors in this world today. I said that, that, that we really get to know God through creation and through the scriptures and the person of Christ. And I believe it would be very difficult to know who God is without the scripture. It would also be very difficult to understand the scriptures without Christ. How does he help us to understand? I had to think, how did he live out the two greatest commandments as a man? Those commandments being to love God and to love our neighbor. Jesus loved his father. He reverenced his father. He feared his father. And because of that, he lived a righteous, sinless life, which we can't attain to that, to the degree that he did. But that, I believe, his, his righteous, perfect Spotless life was a result of his love for the Father. And secondly, he sacrificed himself. He gave his life, and that is the ultimate in loving our neighbor as ourselves. But now we're ambassadors. And as that, I present that the world around us can better understand who God is as they look at your life. As they look at How does my life help others to understand God? How do I live out the greatest commandments? And this is the call for us. As we consider Christ, the call to follow him, the call to walk in his steps. 1 John chapter 2. This, I've, I've I've meditated on this before and pondered it, and I it came alive again as I was looking at this, these ideas of following, what it means to follow Christ as the way to the Father. 1 John 2, verse 5. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Verse 5. In him verily is the love of God perfected. That means that God wants to demonstrate his love in us. 
And we are to walk as he walked. If I would call one of my children up here and ask them to follow me, and I would start walking, and I would go in a bench, go over here, back a little further, and maybe start back across. And instead, they would just figure I'm going to the back and run off. Would they be following me? If I take a walk and I say, follow me, and I may take a zigzag path because I know that there's an extra big cow pie there behind that grass clump that they can't see. And for a four-year-old, that can be a big obstacle. And instead, they take off and just plunge ahead. Is that following? Follow means follow. Not just strike out in the general direction. And I'm challenged that if we follow Jesus, our lives are to line up with his character, with his word. No, we're not perfect, but we do strive to imitate him. We love him and we want to be like him and to please him. You know, that's only possible because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I was reading in a, a farm magazine that came the other day and in one of the articles I, I, I read one guy's writing and it's nothing that wonderful but it's in, in, interesting to think about sometimes and, and I, as he closed this, this article I was, yeah, I was blessed by it. He's not a man I'm sure that any of us would, would uh, think offhand to call a brother in Christ but I believe he has a faith. I know he has a faith and I would like to read what he says. Neither Jesus' humble birth nor the marvelous events surrounding it were the culmination of the miracle. His birth merely opened the door for the incomprehensible sacrifice that allows every one of us to be free from the self-imposed bonds of our mistakes and fears and even the very chains of death itself. I have a question for you. Which is more amazing? The virgin birth or the new birth? We rejoice in the miracle of the virgin birth at Christmas. But do we rejoice in the miracle of the new birth? The power, the wisdom of God made real in your life. Is your life, is my life, are our lives an accurate interpretation to the world of the word of truth? Am I being, am I being that attached branch that John 15 speaks of? Am I doing his work? Life is about doing and life is about being, and it's both together. I trust that the miracle of the new birth, of the word made flesh, would thrill our hearts 
the miracle of the virgin birth, and then the miracle of the new birth in our experiences. And that we would faithfully endeavor to walk as Christ walked. That we, as we are the, the only Bible that many, would re, many read, as it is said, that God would be able to use us for his glory.